0: book ten chapter two of the adventures of gil bias of santillane by alain rene lesage translated by tobias smollett this librivox recording is in the public domain book ten chapter two gil continues his journey and arrives in safety at oviedo the condition of his family his father's death and its consequences from valladolid we got to oviedo in four days without any untoward accident on the road in spite of the proverb which says that robbers lay their ears to the ground when pilgrims are going with rich offerings and traders are riding with fat purses it would have been a feasible as well as a tempting speculation two tenants of a subterraneous abode might have presented an aspect to have frightened our doubloons into a surrender for courage was not one of the qualities i had imbibed at court and bertrand my mule-driver seemed not to be of a temper to get his brains blown out in defending a person to which he had no free ingress scipio was the only one of the party who was anything of a bully it was night when we came into town our lodgings were at an inn near my uncle gilles perez the canon I was very desirous of ascertaining the circumstances of my parents before my first interview with them and in order to gain that information it was impossible to make my inquiries in a better channel than through my landlord and landlady into the lines of whose faces you could not look without being satisfied that they knew every tittle of their neighbour's concerns as it turned out the landlord kenned me after a diligent perusal of my features and cried out by st antony of padua this is the son of the honest usher Bla of santillane ay indeed said the hostess and so it is without a single muscle altered just for all the world that same little stripling gil bias of whom we used to say that he was as saucy as he was high it brings old times to my memory when he used to come hither with his bottle under his arm to fetch wine for his uncle's supper madam said i you have a most inveterate memory but for goodness sake change the subject and tell me the modern news of my family my father and mother are doubtless in no very enviable situation in good truth you may say that answered the landlady you may rack your brains as long as you like but you will never think of anything half so miserable as what they are suffering at this present moment gilles perez good soul is defunct of all down one side by a stroke of the palsy and the other half of him is little better than a corpse we cannot expect him to last long then your father who went to live with his reverence a little while ago is troubled with an inflammation of the lungs and is standing as a body may say quavery mavery between life and death while your mother who is not over and above hale and hearty herself is obliged to nurse them both on this intelligence which made me feel some compunctious yearnings of nature i left bertrand with my stud and baggage at the inn then with my secretary at my heels who would not desert me in my time of need i repaired to my uncle's house the moment i came within my mother's reach a natural emotion of maternal instinct unfolded to her who i was before her eyes could possibly have run over the traces of my countenance son said she with a melancholy expression after having embraced me come and be present at your father's death your visit is just in time to take in all the piteous circumstances of so deplorable an event with this heart-rending reception she led me by the hand into a chamber where the wretched blah of Santillane, stretched on a comfortless bed in cold and dismal accord with the thinness of his fortunes was just entering on the last great act of human nature though surrounded by the shades of death he was not quite unconscious of what was passing about him my dearest friend said my mother here is your son gil bias who entreats your forgiveness for all his undutiful behaviour and is come to ask your blessing before you die at these tidings my father opened his eyes which were on the point of closing for ever he fixed them upon me and reading in my countenance notwithstanding the awful brink on which he stood that i was a sincere mourner for his loss his feelings were recalled to sympathy by my sorrow he even made an attempt to speak but his strength was too much exhausted i took one of his hands in mine and while i bathed it with my tears in speechless agony of soul he breathed his last as if he had only waited my arrival to pay the debt of nature and wing his way to scenes of untried being this event had been too long present to my mother's mind to overwhelm her with any unparalleled affliction perhaps it sat more heavily on me than on her though my father had never in his life given me any reason to feel for him as a father but besides that mere filial instinct would have made me weep over his cold remains i reproached myself with not having contributed to the comfort of his latter days then when i considered what a hard-hearted villain i had been i seemed to myself like a monster of ingratitude or rather like an impious parricide my uncle whom i afterwards saw lying at his length on another wretched couch and in a most lamentable pickle made me experience fresh agonies of upbraiding conscience unnatural son said i communing with my own uneasy thoughts behold the chastisement of heaven upon thy sins in the disconsolate condition of thy nearest relations hadst thou but thrown to them the superflux of that abundance in which before thy imprisonment thou rollst, thou mightest have procured for them those little comforts which thy uncle's ecclesiastical pittance was too scanty to furnish and perhaps have lengthened out the term of thy father's life Gil perez had fallen into a state of second childhood and was though numerically upon the list of the living in every individual organ a mere corpse his memory nay his very senses had retired from their allotted stations in his system bootless was it for me to strain him in my pious arms and lavish outward tokens of affection on him they might as well have been wasted on the desert air to as little purpose did my mother ring in his unnerved ear that i was his nephew gil he gazed at me with a vacant stupid stare and gave neither sign nor answer had the ties of consanguinity and gratitude been all too weak to awaken my tender sympathy for an uncle to whom i owed the means of my first launch into the world the impression of helpless dotage on my senses must have softened me into something like the counterfeit of virtuous emotion while this scene was passing scipio preserved a melancholy silence sharing in all my sorrows and mingling his sighs with mine in the chastised luxury of friendship but concluding that my mother after so long an absence might wish to have some such conversation with me as the presence of a stranger must rather repress than promote i drew him aside saying go my good fellow sit down quietly at the inn and leave me here with my only surviving parent who might consider your company as an intrusion while talking over family affairs scipio withdrew for fear of being a clog upon our confidence and i sat down with my mother to an interchange of communication which lasted all night we reciprocally gave a faithful account of all that had happened to each of us since my first sally from oviedo she related in full measure and running over all the petty insults disappointments and mortifications which she had undergone in her pilgrimage from house to house as a duenna a great number of these little anecdotes it would have hurt my pride that my secretary should have noted down in his biographical budget though i had never concealed from him the ups and downs in the lottery of my own life with all the respect i owe to my mother's sainted memory the good lady had not the knack of going the shortest road to the end of a story had she but pruned her own memoirs of all luxuriant circumstances there would not have been materials so for more than a tithe of her narrative at length she got to the end of her tether and i began my career with respect to my general adventures i passed them over lightly but when i came to speak of the visit which the son of bertrand mascada the grocer of ovieda had paid me at madrid i enlarged with decent compunction on that dark article in the history of my life i must frankly own said i to my mother that i gave that young fellow a very bad reception and he doubtless in revenge must have drawn a hideous outline of my moral features he did you more than justice i trust answered she for he told us that he found you so puffed up and swollen with the good fortune thrust upon you by the prime minister as scarcely to acknowledge him among your former acquaintance and when he gave you a moving description of our miseries you listened as if you had no interest in the tale or knowledge of the parties but as fathers and mothers can always find some clue for palliation in the conduct of their graceless children we were loth to believe that you had so bad a heart your arrival at oviedo justifies our favourable interpretation and those tears which are now flowing down your cheeks are so many pledges either of your innocence or your reformation your constructions were too partial replied i there was a great deal of truth in young mascada's report when he came to see me all my faculties were engrossed by vanity and mammon ambition the prevailing devil which possessed me left not a thought to throw away on the desolate condition of my parents it therefore could be no wonder if in such a disposition of mind i gave rather a freezing reception to a man who accosting me in a peremptory style took upon him to say without mincing the matter that it was well known i was as rich as a jew and therefore he advised me to send you a good round sum seeing that you were very much put to your shifts nay he went so far as to reproach me in phrase of more sincerity than good manners with my unfeeling negligence of my family his confounded personality stuck in my throat so that losing my little stock of patience i shoved him fairly by the shoulders out of my closet it must be confessed that i took the administration of justice a little too much into my own hands being judge and party in the same cause neither was it proper that you should bear the brunt because the grocer was a little anti saccharine in his phraseology nor was his advice the less pertinent or just though couched in homely terms or urged with plodding vulgarity all this came plump in the teeth of my conscience the moment i had turned mascada out of doors the voice of natural instinct contrived to make its way my duty to my parents brought the blood into my face but it was the blush of shame for its neglect and not the glow of triumph at its performance yet even my remorse can give me little credit in your eyes since it was soon stifled in the fumes of avarice and ambition but sometimes afterwards having been safely lodged in the tower of segovia by royal mandate i fell dangerously ill there and that timely remembrance sir was the cause of bringing back your son to you so true is it that sickness and imprisonment were my best moral tutors for they enabled nature to resume her rights and weaned me effectually from the court henceforth all my dear delight is in solitude and my only business in the asturias is to entreat that you would share with me in the mild pleasures of a retired life if you reject not my earnest petition i will attend you to an estate of mine in the kingdom of valencia and we will live there together very comfortably you are of course aware that i intended to take my father thither also but since heaven has ordained it otherwise let me at least have the satisfaction of affording an asylum to my mother and making amends by all the attentions in my power for the fallow seasons in the former harvest of my filial duty i accept your kind intentions in very good part said my mother and would take the journey without hesitation if i saw no obstacles in the way but to desert your uncle in his present condition would be unpardonable and i am too much accustomed to this part of the country to like living elsewhere nevertheless as the proposal deserves to be maturely weighed i will consider further of it at my leisure at present your father's funeral requires to be ordered and arranged as for that said i we will leave it to the care of the young man whom you saw with me he is my secretary with as clever a head and as good a heart as you have often been acquainted with let the business rest with him it cannot be in better hands hardly had i pronounced these words when scipio came back for it was already broad day he inquired whether he could be of any service in our present distresses i answered that he was come just in time to receive some very important directions as soon as he was made acquainted with the business in hand a word to the wise said he the whole procession with its appropriate heraldry is already marshalled in this head of mine you may trust me for a very pretty funeral have a care said my mother to make it plain and decent without anything like pomp or parade it can scarcely be too humble for my husband whom all the town knows to have been low in rank and indigent in circumstances madam replied scipio though he had been the meanest and most destitute of the human race i would not bate one button in the array of his posthumous honours my master's credit is at stake in the proper conduct of the ceremony he has been in an ostensible situation under the duke of lerma and his father ought to be buried with all the forms of state and nobility i thought exactly as my secretary did upon the subject and even went so far as to bid him spare no expense on the occasion a little leaven of vanity still fermented in the mass of my philosophy and rose in my bosom with all the effervescence of its original lightness i flattered myself that by lavishing posthumous honours on a father who had blessed the day of his decease by no lucrative bequest i should instill into the conceptions of the bystanders a high sense of my generous nature my mother on her part whatever airs of humility she might put on had no dislike to seeing her husband carried out with due observance of funeral pomp and ceremony we therefore left scipio to do just as he pleased and he without a moment's delay adopted all the necessary measures for the display of the undertaker's liveliest fancy the genius of that artist was called forth but too successfully his emblems devices and draperies were so ostentatious as to disgust instead of cajoling the natives every individual whether of the town or the suburbs whether high or low rich or poor felt shocked and insulted by this afterthought parade this ministerial beggar on horseback said one can put his hand into his pocket for his father's funeral baked meats but never found in his heart wherewithal to furnish his living table with common necessaries it would have been much more to the purpose said another to have made the old gentleman's latter days comfortable than to have wasted such thriftless sums on a post-obit act of filial munificence in short quips of the brain and peltings of the tongue pattered round our execrated heads it would have been well had the storm been only a whirlwind of passion or hurricane of words but we were all scipio bertrand and myself corporally admonished of our misdeeds on our coming out of church they abused us like pickpockets made mouths and odious noises as we passed and followed bertrand at his heels to the inn with a copious volley of stones and mud to disperse the mob which had collected before my uncle's house my mother was obliged to show herself at the window and to declare publicly that she was thoroughly satisfied with my proceedings another detachment had filed off to the stable-yard where my carriage stood in the full determination of breaking it to pieces and this they would inevitably have done if the landlord and lady had not found some means of quieting their perturbed spirits and turning them aside from their outrageous purpose all these affronts so revolting to my dignity the effect of the tales which the young grocer had been spreading about town inspired me with such a thorough hatred for my native place that i determined on quitting oviedo almost immediately though but for this bustle i might have made it my residence for some time i announced my intention with the reasons of it to my mother who considering my uncouth reception as no very flattering compliment to herself did not urge my longer stay among people so little inclined to treat me civilly the only point remaining now to be discussed was her future destiny and provision my dear mother said i since my uncle stands so much in need of your attendance i will no longer urge you to go along with me but as his days seem likely to be very few on earth you must promise to come and take up your abode with me at my farm as soon as the last duties are performed to his honoured remains i shall make no such promise answered my mother for i mean to pass the remnant of my days in the asturias and in a state of perfect independence will you not on all occasions replied i be absolute mistress in my household maybe so and maybe not rejoined she you have only to fall in love with some flirt of a girl and then you will marry then she will be my daughter-in-law and i shall be her stepmother and then we shall live together as stepmothers and daughters-in-law usually do your prognostics said i are fetched from a great distance i have not at present the most remote intention of entering into the happy state but even though such a whim should take possession of my brain i will pledge myself for instructing my wife betimes in an implicit submission to your will and pleasure that is giving security without the means of making good your contract replied my mother you would scarcely be able to justify bail i would not even swear that in our sparring matches you might not take your wife's part in preference to mine however ill she might behave or however unreasonably she might argue you talk very excellent sense madam cried my secretary coming in for his share of the conversation i think just as you do that docility is about as much the virtue of a donkey as of a daughter-in-law as the matter stands that that there may be no difference of opinion between my master and you since you are absolutely determined to live asunder you in the asturias and he in the kingdom of valencia he must allow you an annuity of a hundred pistoles and send me hither every year for the payment by thus arranging matters mother and son will be very good friends with an interval of two hundred leagues between them the party's concern fell in at once with the proposal i paid the first year in advance and stole out of Oviedo the next morning before dawn for fear of vying with st stephen in popular favor such were the charms of my return to my native place an admirable lesson this for those successful upstarts who having gone abroad to make their fortunes come home to be the purse-proud tyrants of their birthplace end of book 10 chapter 2